marching through the Dhamma at the kind of record speed that was done in the time of the Buddha. Okay, this can this can be done if we pay close attention to it. That I will admit that I dallied for years, mostly because I didn't understand how easy it was. And yet Bhikkhu Buddha Dasu was there talking about it. Uh, and it, it finally sunk in. So here's the point. Once it sinks in and you get it, then the rest of the path is fairly easy. The question is, can you get it now? Are you going to wait 25 years? Are you going to be an old man like was before you decide that you can, in fact, take control of your life? And that what's a little coronavirus? Or what's a little shot? Okay, okay. But what happens is, there's another example of this. In fact, let me give you this example because it's in um, almost always it's exactly the same thing. A student says that he was um, watching a YouTube video and the thought occurred to him that he ought to be meditating. And then he said to himself, oh, but I want to watch the video. And then the thought again is, oh, you ought to be meditating. And then the thought is, no, I, I want to watch the video. And now he's got this dialogue going that rots really. That whole thing. Yep, I know it very I, well. Right into a pity party. Yep, and I don't like it. <laughs> okay, well, the thing to do then is to wake up to it with the... Um, this is kind of an old joke. It's a personal joke. Um, years ago, there was um, uh, advertisements on television for, um, uh, let us say, a tomato juice cocktail that was called V8. I know it. You, you know about V8 juice? I do. I know all the different juices. I, uh, my, my dad was a grocer, so I, I know One. all the all the different juices. <laughs> For a while, they were running an ad that had to do with someone was drinking something else, and then he saw someone drinking V8, and he would do this. I had, I could have had a V8. Do you remember that part of their commercials? I could have had a V8. I, I don't, but that doesn't surprise me. V8 tastes terrible, by the way. I don't know why anyone would, would want that, except in a cocktail with a you know, margarita. Let's not go there. But let's do go to the fact that uh, back in the 1980s, there were a number of uh, computer manufacturers that were doing uh, what they could to go directly into competition with IBM's mainframe, who just uh, wound up getting sued and almost was put out of business. They were fined $600 million uh, in a court suit for IBM. And then Amdahl, IBM went after Amdahl also. Amdahl had big mainframes that were basically a knockoff. Uh, <clears throat> I was involved with the government project at that time when um, the, uh, I think it was the Reagan building, uh, way out in, in Redford, Massachusetts, or in Redford, Bed yeah, Redford, uh, Virginia and that they had this huge, huge computer system, big, big Amdahl, 
about like the whole ground floor was nothing but computers, and most of that was modem banks. Hmm. Okay, and um, the joke was um, that we could have had a V8 because it was an Amdahl V8. That was their, the name of their product. But that kind of stuck with me about, darn it, wake up. You know, we could have had a V8. Sure. All right, so this is the kind of thing that we need to think about is, is that I could have had a pity party. <laughs> okay, or let's, let's wake up here. Um, and that's the kind of thing that begins to occur when we recognize that there is a major distinction between anapanasati, which is mindfulness of breathing, versus this thing called meditation, which has gotten itself as a meme into Western mentality. Sure. Okay, so even you and even the guy who was on YouTube, when they think about meditation, I should be meditating. That means that they've got to stop what is happening, turn off the computer, go to another room, get onto a particular cushion, because that's the cushion that is labeled already mentally as the meditation cushion in the meditation place. And so we, we wind up with a lot of, lot of formalities or rites, rules, and rituals around meditation. In fact, every meditation retreat seems to be more ritual than meditation with clocks and candles and bells and incense and statuary and the whole nine yards but if we stop thinking about meditation in that sense and start thinking about anapani in the sense of remembering to take a deep breath that's all it means Anapani or Anapanasati? Anapana is in-breath and out-breath, and Sati is to remember. That's all it is. So here you are having your pity party, and if you remember with the thought of, I should be meditating, then the response would be immediately, I am. Hmm. Doing it now, because we remembered. But instead, you didn't remember to take a deep breath. What you remembered was a rule. You ought to be meditating. That comes right out of the parent ego state. It's an old tape that we played. In fact, that was the uh, the thing that. Uh, we talked about it in the 1970s. Now we could just say you're just playing an audio file uh, with a, with F-I-L-E <laughs> as opposed to an audio file with other spelling. So uh, in, a, in a way, you're nothing but just a tape recorder, just a box, just a machine that's got a tape head on it. And, and plays back what's on that tape. And that's all we do. We just play these old tapes over and over and over again. And the tape yep. recorder doesn't like them. 
Right. It actually take playback machine. Doesn't like these audios that we keep playing back. Because you didn't like it when you said you want to be meditating. You didn't want to do that. Right. And so you get into an internal dialogue between the parent ego state, thou shalt meditate, and the child ego state, which doesn't have language, doesn't speak in language. It's too primitive for language, but it does have a language of emotion or feelings, not words. And the emotion or the feeling that is response to you ought to be meditating could be expressed in the words of, oh, hell no, I can't do that now. All right, it's kind of a feeling response, but it's a rejection and also don't make me do it. And so we begin to appeal to um, that parent inside to let me buy, let me get away with it. And so we wound up in this pity party. That's a really, I don't know when that phrase came up, but I've heard it since the 70s and it just fits. A great phrase, yep. It really, really fits. Because we enjoy that pity party, it's got value to it. You know, how many, for, here's an example of what I'm talking about. How many pity parties on planet Earth, do you think will happen in the next 24 hours? Well, there's seven and a half billion people. And we'll say they each have 10 per day, maybe 20, 50, you know, so you'll have, you know, <laughs> billions and billions. You know. You're getting the point. Why do yeah. you think there are so many pity parties? Because there's some kind of value in there. What is the value then of a pity party? Okay, the Buddha talks about it uh, using the, the, the word um, gratification. That there is some gratification in the things that we do. And so we continue to do them. The gratification is in fact the fuel that keeps the habit going. And so every time we get a little bit of gratification, we'll do that habit again that reinstalls it again, grinds it in deeper, cuts a rut in a, in a, a dirt road, so to speak, causing potholes and whatnot. But we get gratification by going down that road. Because we keep going down that road, we wear it in. Okay. And so we have to begin to recognize that that gratification also has dangers in it that pity parties do have gratification but they have enormous dangers and that when people can't see that they will take the little bit of gratification and don't see the enormous danger that they're in like for instance the danger of let's have another pity party and let's have another one and let's have another one let's spend our day in pity party when the option right. would have been I could have had a V8. <laughs> right. I Which could, I, I could yeah. and wake up to this. So this is the whole uh, story about Santi as to why it's got a certain kind of power or strength to it that needs to be developed. Okay. That actually, it seems that Santi has three aspects to be developed. One is how often it occurs. 
Number two is how frequently, once we've got it going, can we, can it keep, how quick? So how often, how quick, and also how powerful or how strong it is. I think I've mentioned to you before about waking up and getting out of bed in the morning, that the first thing we do is we wake up, we don't get out of bed. Think about having that shot and then th having the thought, I ought to meditate is like the thought of once you wake up in the morning, you ought to get out of bed, and then you don't. Right. And, yeah, and I feel don't. Like so much of my life is spent that way. I mean, another area like this is, you know, I recently lost my job, right? Mm -hmm. And and I've really enjoyed being unemployed. You know, I have just loved it. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, it's been about a month, a little over a month, and they paid me for the whole next for the whole month. You know, so I didn't have to file for unemployment right away or anything. And I'm going to file, you know, tomorrow is the, is the plan because that month just ended on Friday. And I've really just loved it. I mean, I've been going into the dar the Dhamma practice. I've been reading, and I've been I've went to ceremonies, mm -hmm. spending time with friends, time with my dog. You know, it's really a given me a lot of space to do a lot of really nice things, including our chats, which I've very much enjoyed and gotten a lot out of. And thank you for that. Um, and uh, and the Dhamma practice that I do in conjunction with our chats and. Outside, of course, I've really, I think having this space to be unemployed has really allowed me to dive, you know, a lot deeper in this stuff than than I might have been inclined. The phrase you know? that we have in English is get away from it all. Yeah, and okay. it's been great. And yet I also know, like, I I should be applying for jobs. You know, I, I do have bills to pay and that sort of thing. And I'll tell myself, Robert, you need to apply for a job today. And then I just won't do it because <laughs> I just don't want to do it, you know. Um, and, and it's been well, a big internal that's conflict. The, that's the parent yeah. and the child dialogue yes. that gets started when we're children. Mom tells us to say to do something and the child inside doesn't want to do it. Yes, and it, all the now, time. That's one of my biggest states that comes up again and again. So you need to work out. You need to do this. You need to do that. And then I'll just, you know, I might, I'll do it eventually often, but I will put things off, put things off. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Even things I really like. I, I, I Like, even things I really like, you know, like meditation. For, I, I have a very joyful sits whenever I sit, yet I still enter in that parent-child thing. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear more about, you know, you, you mentioned um, um, there's something gratifying about it, but it's also great danger. So anyway, please take it away. I, I just well, love to hear your let's, thoughts on all let's of this. Go, let's go back then to that internal dialogue. Um, the Buddha knew about it. Freud knew about it. The ancient Greeks knew about it. And uh, Adler and Young picked up on it, and Eric Byrne made a great big deal out of it. Uh, this idea that uh, each human being, as a human being, not like most animals, the human being actually has three brains or three minds, and that they are often in conflict with each other. And that the uh, 
primary part of the Buddha's teaching that seems um, uh, quite logical in that is, is that to get these three parts of the brain unified so that they're working together as a team rather than each one of them working individually selfishly. All right. And so these three parts of the brain, Freud defined as uh, ego, superego, and id. Now, for some reason or another, our language has gotten everything backwards in the sense that we talk about ego is a bad thing. We talk about egoism, egotistical, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but that language has to do with the id, not the ego. That, in fact, the right word to say would be id-tistical. Rather than egotistical, okay, sure. uh, or id-centric rather than egocentric. Um, the uh, the id is uh, referred to by Eric Byrne as the child ego state, and that neuroscience will put it as the posterior part of the of the brain. This back in here, it's also called the reptilian brain. This reptilian brain, like uh, most really primitive animals, like crocodiles and whatever, they don't have um, the language the way that dogs do. Dogs have a very, very sophisticated language. Uh, yeah. Various various barks, various postures, all kinds of attitudes and things like that. To where alligators. They don't have much language. They know how to attack and they know how to escape, and that's about their entire vocabulary. I've always really liked alligators for some reason. Pardon? I've always really liked alligators for some reason. I, I just, well, I just think they're. You've really got cool. the same anatomy. <laughs> Anything that an alligator can do, you do that with that part of your brain. Alligators can swim. You can swim. Alligators can call. You can crawl. Alligators can wiggle their tail. You can wiggle your tail. Alligators can see. You can see. Alligators have hearts that pump something or another. And so do you. All of that kind of stuff. They even breathe. And so do we. So all of that kind of stuff that the alligator can do we can do with that primitive part of the brain, but one of the things that that part of the brain cannot do is speak in language. And so it speaks an emotion. And so the pity party basically winds up with, you ought to do this, I don't want to do it. But that is expressed in a, in a feeling. And that feeling is an on feeling or a mm feeling, something like that. But it, the answer is generally no. Right. It's and like a sinking feeling. Like there's mm -hmm. like a sinking feeling in my in my gut almost. And it's like, you know, you have to apply for a job or whatever. It's coming from my mind. It's my mind saying that. And then there's just like a, a, sec, a feeling that arises of just like in my gut, a sinking feeling of, oh, God, I don't want to do that right now. You know, and it's not expressed in words. Like you said, exactly like you said, it's like just a feeling I don't want to do it. And then I just 
don't do it. I, I just continue with whatever activity I was doing. Actually, no. More than likely, what will happen is it comes again. You ought to go do that. It does come again, yes. And then another one. Oh, I don't want to do it is a sense of feeling. And then okay. either I get That's distracted. In fact, mm -hmm. Either I get distracted by the thing I'm doing or I do it at some point, but I often don't do it until it, the, the, the adrenaline comes in right when it needs to be done. Well, actually, what we're getting it up to is this pity party that we're using a label for. Another way that the Buddha talks about it is the woeful state of being an animal. The pity party is actually the, uh, the Buddha's understanding of an animal in the sense that the animal does what it's told to do reluctantly. Mm. So eventually you'll tell yourself you've got to go get a job and so you'll go out looking for one, but you'll do it half-heartedly and you won't be successful at it. Employers want people who want the job and right now you don't want one. I really don't. I'd be much more content just go out to my mom's <laughs> and in nature and walk my dog every day. Like, guess what? I, I think want... that people in the United States are waking up to this. I remember, in fact, about a year ago that I had a long conversation with um, uh, Willie about this. In fact, more than one person we talked about in the sense of, isn't it marvelous? COVID-19 is planet Earth message to humanity slow down you move too fast no kidding That's okay the truth. uh that uh the humans were just polluting the uh the the planet and so planet earth comes up with covid and what happened all of the aircraft comes right out of the air and aircraft are the major problem you see um an automobile exhaust is at most a foot or two off the ground or on a big truck at, at most 10 or 20 feet off the ground, putting out all that heavy pollution. But that means for the car's exhaust, it only has to fall about a foot. And there it is. It's on the ground. If you've got a jet plane at 40,000 feet putting out that same stuff, how long does that stuff that's being put out by that jet plane hit the ground? Sometimes it's going to take 100 years. And so getting that aircraft out of the air, that was a good thing. And, uh, and uh, the, I think the atmosphere is already being cleaned up. Now we're getting the jets back, but for a year or so, no jets. But the bigger issue is not only are the jets out of the air for a while, people are at home. You see, their whole lives, from the time they were little kids, they've been into, you got to go to work, you got to go to school, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. Right. And that you got to go is out of that parent. And then people say, I don't want to. And then they say, you got to go. I don't want to. You got to go. Okay, I'll go. But I don't want to. And so this is that animal state. And so we have now a whole nation or a whole planet full of humans acting like animals doing work they were told to do that they really don't have to do if they don't want to do it and they would wake up. And here you are, just like so many people, you know, 
that um, the Republicans and the big business and whatnot are screaming right now because nobody wants to go back to work. And you know what I have to say about that? Deep inside that little child is saying, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> Dharma yeah. is happening when people don't want to go back to work. Well, it's so funny because, you know, like I, I was talking with a friend about this the other day and, and, you know, I've lived in New York now for five years. This is a very expensive place to live. You know, it's, it's just the cost of living and the food, all this stuff. And, and I'm now feeling like, you know, I think the Dhamma practice is a big contributor to this, you know, and also the plant medicine stuff I've been doing and various other things. But the Dhamma has been a really big part of it for sure. Is just like I don't feel like this type A competitive person anymore. I just want to keep not working and chilling. And I'm surrounded by all these type A competitive people all the time, you know, and it's just feeling more and more like it's not quite my crowd, you know, and I love mm -hmm. my friends. My friends are good people, but, you know, but in terms of the average person I meet, you know, it, it's this, there's this whole competition thing. And I just don't, I just want to sit out of that. That's how I feel, you know, but I created a up. whole... Yeah, but I'd created a whole personality around being this competitive type A person. And now I don't feel like I sync up with that personality anymore. But it's how so many people have known me for so long, you know. And I went to, you know, an Ivy League school and all of this, you know. And I just don't feel like I, you know. <laughs> Like, that's my, my thing anymore. You know, it's a really weird thing. It's like uh, it like happens. A, a snake shedding its skin. You know, I, I don't know mm -hmm. else to, or an alligator it, shedding its skin, because I like those more. <laughs> a lot of people train in uh, heavy detail, uh, getting advanced degrees and all kinds of stuff, and then they just chuck it in. They figure out, that's not what I want to do. Um. I, I have come to understand that for some reason or another, those people who are really deeply into math, computer science, economics, and that kind of stuff, they get really drawn to the Dhamma. That's interesting. And well, that's why you find um, actually uh, not just yeah, on the Internet and in other places, you find a lot of technology being put into the Dhamma because of all of these people who have uh, all of this technical expertise are now doing poly on GitHub rather than working for JP Morgan. That's just the way that we uh, that we do, that we figure out that there are better things to do with our time than have this internal dialogue, this pity party of you ought to go to do this. You're an alpha, you gotta go do this. Oh, I don't want to, but you got to go do this. Okay, then in fact, that alpha is a very, very strong super ego. Sure. Okay, because we've got a lot of rules. We've got a lot of shoulds. We've got a lot of uh, stuff to do. And um, that is, uh, let us say, such a strong thing that we begin to uh, over our lifetimes, do what we're told to do, though we don't want to do it. This is right. that wolf 
state of being an animal of doing what you're told to do without wanting to do it. I've got several examples. One is the horse that plows his own pasture. You got this beautiful horse out there in this beautiful pasture, and he's having a ball. And the farmer buys that piece of land and the horse, and he puts a plow on the horse and makes the horse plow up his own pasture. And what does the horse get out of that? Hey. Now, how many times does that happen? That is what we call the industrial revolution, or that's what we call capitalism. Capitalism is someone else, Mr. Big Guy, putting these people to work. They don't really want to do it, but they do it anyway, because they were told to do it. And then he gets the, the benefit. The big guy gets the benefit. Right. Our whole society is built on that. And that everybody is invited. Oh, well, if you want to be the big guy, you got to climb all over a whole bunch of other big guys to get to the top. And when you get on top, then you're going to have a whole bunch of big guys grabbing a hold of your belt and your pants trying to pull you back down. But that's life. Enjoy. Only nobody enjoys that life. And it's just a big pile of humans trying to struggle to get to the top, stepping on uh, this guy's face, and the next moment your own face is getting stepped on. And we think that this is the right way to live because we have this very strong parent ego state, this super ego in there saying, go do this, go do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. And we got and we picked that stuff up from when we were kids and we picked it up from the uh, the adults that tell this to kids, the real kids, because when they're not telling it to their own kids, they're telling it to the kid inside their own mind anyway. Right. OK, so part of what we need to do then is to have Sati to wake up, not just to say to wake up, oh, you should be meditating and then go meditate, start waking up to those um shoulds those jobs you give yourself to do things that have to be done so that you recognize that what we really need to do is get yourself up to doing the job and if you don't get yourself up to doing the job then don't do it what do i mean now by doing by getting this yourself up to the job Let's use the example of um, going uh, for uh, employment or actually out looking for a job is a job to do. In fact, many yeah. people will say the worst job I've ever had was out looking for work. And so if you want to give yourself that job of going out and looking for work, the question is, are you going to be successful at it or are you going to be a failure at it? If you go looking for jobs and you don't want a job, that's going to be written all over your application. It's going to be written all over your face, and it's going to be written all over your behind as they kick you out the door. I'm pretty good at faking it. Don't fake it. Yeah. If you're going to fake it, fake it at home while you're having a pity party. Well, I'll tell you this. Here's a funny story. So... That was kind of how I got my last job, is I faked my way in, essentially. I mean, I didn't, like, I wasn't deceptive about who I was or anything like that, but I mean, 
I had the interview and, you know, and I just said, you know, this would be a great opportunity. I'm really excited about this, you know, and, and all of this. And I said all I needed to say. And I did it with a big smile on my face. And I just, you know, went in all in with that because um, I know how to do that, you know. And the truth be told, I was not a good fit for this company. And that's why I didn't stay there, you know. But, you know, but what was funny about it is inside that company, everyone was faking everything all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it was a bunch of fakers, you know, and people kissing ass and, you know, playing politics and all of this, you know, and, and I'm not like that ultimately. Like I can do that. A that was bit. the pile that I was talking about. In fact, yeah. you know, of, of climbing that, uh, that yes, human pyramid. I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm an authentic person. Like, I'll just tell you what I think, this and that. You know, I'll be nice and polite, you know, in a certain circumstance. You know, in certain circumstances, of course. I got but, you. I got yeah. you. You can fake it, okay? Yeah, Let's I can not. Do it fine. Okay. Because you, can you might be, be able to fool an employer for a while. Um, the way that you could say it is um, this this comes from Abraham Lincoln. He said that you can feel, fool some of the people some of the time and you can fool all of the people. Wait a minute. You can fool all the people some of the time and you can fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool everybody all the time. Right. Okay. Basically, we can turn that around to saying you might be able to fool your employer, but you can't fake it for yourself. You're going to have that pity party. You know you're having that right. pity party. Even though you're lying to yourself about the pity party, you're still having that pity party. You don't want to be here. Right. Even though you're telling the employer you want to be here, the reality is, is that you don't. Okay. Right. Now, here's the whole point is, is that we have choices and that we make choices based up, based upon the criteria of productivity right okay and that the whole nation is like that by looking for the gross national product right productivity okay product bhutan yes. has a completely different government I heard about this perspective yes the gross and, national and happiness yep. the gross national happiness well you, you have to understand that bhutan is a buddhist country yes it's a beautiful okay. at least they, they make yep. that point to where you could say that in thailand it's kind of the same thing just getting along and, and enjoying one's life is more important than making a killing yes so you need to make that change inside more. You're already starting that. But the pity party comes from the fact that you tell yourself that you got to do something. You've got to be productive. Those tapes are still running. Right. Well, so you yeah, need to start changing the tapes. Okay, here's the whole point about the practice of Anapanasati is, is that we have to start changing those tapes from the, that unwholesome stuff of get the job done no matter how you feel. 
into the nurturing thoughts of how you feel is much more important than what the, whether the job gets done or not. Now, here's the point that's really important. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa pounds on this, in, especially in his book on uh, the void mind. And that is, is that do whatever that, uh, I won't use the, uh, the Bible phrase, whatever your hands find to, to do, but rather whatever you are going to do, enjoy it. Right. Do what you're going to do with a mind that's void of the hindrances. Hmm. Most people will go around doing because they're supposed to do it. They've been told to do it by their superego, which is nothing but a bunch of old tapes from the past. But when right. people are living in the present moment and those old tapes come up, we should see those tapes with the understanding of we can change those tapes from you ought to go do something into aren't you enjoying this moment? Okay, because if you can get yourself into a state of enjoyment, then you can do anything that you want to do. For instance, work going to look for a job for most people is work. And you're saying that, yeah, it is, but I can fake it. And the response to that is, yes, now we're having two lies going on. Yep, lie to myself and lie to the employer. Right, not only uh, in that, but um, you're going out to look for work, which you don't want to do. And now you're putting on a pretty face so that you can get the job you don't want. Right. Okay, yeah. this is yeah. what we mean by being a crowd inside, that we're not unified. We need to get completely whole and unified, or another way of saying it is get the parent and the child on the same page. And the way to do that is by changing the parent, change the tapes, rather than changing the DNA, which is a little bit more difficult to change. Have you heard about CRISPR? Who? CRISPR. Chutzpa? CRISPR. CRISPR. C-R-I-S-P-R. It's a, it's a new technology that allows you to actually change a genome, to change a, a strand of DNA, and it, it came out. Let's not go there. You're off okay. base. <laughs> okay. They haven't applied it to humans yet, though, so we don't need to. Actually, they did. You have uh, not scheduled your surgery for that kind of stuff yet, so let's stay with what we can do. Okay, that'd be another interesting, you know, maybe when we don't have anything else to talk about someday in five years or something, we'll talk about whether or not it'd be a good idea to alter the genome so everyone would be enlightened. That could be a fun topic. We are already doing that. <laughs> Yeah, you're already doing that. Society is changing for the better. Uh, Martin Luther King spoke about it when he yeah. talks about the arc of the moral universe bends or inclines towards justice. Basically, what he's actually yes. speaking about is that um, if it happens on an individual level, in the sense of education, 
if someone has absolutely no education, um, regardless of what society they're in, they're at the lowest part of it. People who have good educations have a better chance of having a better life. Yes. Which means that they have the right kind of education, then they can have a good life. So it really has a lot to do with education, the right kind of education. And as humanity is getting more educated, we're going in the direction of having a better, better society, technology. As yes. the Buddha Dhamma gets more known, the number of people who live according to the Dhamma will grow. And that's a good thing over time. And they will also have implants and other things like that. We don't have to worry about the future. Because we can't change that anyway, but we can see the direction that things are headed and we can take a sigh of relief. Oh, well, at least my great, 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 great grandchildren can get an implant and look at all the work I've had to do with this damn Anapanasati stuff. <laughs> right. It's actually funny. I was I had dinner with a friend today and I was telling him about this article I read about how they how the Eisenhower administration reacted to the 1957 Asian flu. And the flu was actually very similar to COVID. It had about the same mortality rate. And you know what the Eisenhower administration did? I don't care. No, nothing. They did nothing. They paid. They spent about $25 million, which is a drop in the bucket. And they didn't do any lockdown. They did nothing. You know, and it goes to show our complete blown out of proportion reaction to the pandemic is a sign of one, low stoicism, two, low risk tolerance, and three, uh, you know, people, I mean, the low risk tolerance is a really big thing, but also three, the positive sign is uh, people really caring about the health of other human beings, you know, which that's that's a very positive thing, you know, in, in my opinion. So. Um, you know, where it depends then. upon which political party you're in, then I suppose. But in the time of Eisenhower, the Republicans didn't give a flying rat's ass about what happens to people. And guess what? That's how the Republican Party is today. There are certain things that have changed about the political party, but one thing about money money don't care so long as money keeps money. Sure, but also back then. We don't need to go off on this, but, you know, please, but, let's not. Let's get back to parent right. ego state because right, that's yes, something please. of value. <laughs> yes. What happened with uh, with Eisenhower may be interesting, but um, it's not going to help you get a job. <laughs> it, it's not or to do anything. Yeah. Let's or to do anything that. at all. Leave so that in the past. Yep. <laughs> so let's go to the point that um, we can change those tapes, but we have to do it every time the tape starts playing. In other words, we can't just, uh, let us say for instance of uh, looking at cassette tapes and you've got a whole wall full of cassette tapes of uh, things that you've been told throughout your life. The thing to do is to not try to burn down that wall of tapes, but rather to take this tape out of the recorder what tape is that? The one that's playing right now. 
that's the tape that needs to be stopped. Not the whole wall full of tapes, but just this one. This is a new way of thinking that it's just mm. this thought. This thought that says you ought to meditate or you should go get a job. That tape is the one that needs to be addressed. And the way to address it is to recognize that telling you something to do that you don't want to do is unwholesome. That you're already in a state of resisting it. That in fact, we get ourselves, um, some people have it worse than others, but everybody has the same things. We all have abandonment issues. We all have authority issues. We don't have to be rebel without a cause or easy rider to be a rebel. Everyone rebels. But the one that we rebel most to is the, is the parent ego state in our own mind. That's the pity party, is the rebellion against what we're told to do that we don't want to do. Basically, this is back to the issue of being critical, which is back then to the, um, the story of Adam and Eve in the Bible. They ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which basically means that Adam looks at Eve and he says, your feet are good, but your tits are evil. <laughs> okay, this is, or maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. The point is, is that when we start judging, we destroy our own paradise. And here you have a paradise inside your own mind, lolling around and everything is good. And then that parent, that superego, that snake with an apple comes up and says, aha, why don't you go do this? Why don't you see this is bad and that's good and you need to go get a job? Okay, that's that parent ego state that is giving orders. Is critical. It's making judgments of this is good and this is bad, leaving the child then to, with that judgment of what's good and what's bad, to like it or not like it. And so when there is work to be done, the child is naturally going to say, no, I don't want to do that. If we can change the, 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 uh, the concept, uh, Eric Byrne talked about this, and that is, is that that parent can be retrained to do a more natural parenting thing. For example of that would be nurturing the child rather than critical of the child. When a new infant is born, mom is always very, very nurturing of her baby. It's only when the child gets to about five or six that the society influenced the mom enough to where the mom now becomes critical with her child rather than nurturing. And so that happens with each one of us in a very, very deep sense, in an early, early sense of environment, we know nurturing, but now we have been robbed of it because now we have the, the parent ego state that we're picking up from our own parents. That's critical. The child inside craves nurturing and all we get out of our, that part of our mind is criticism. 
in the sense that, oh, no, you do not nur deserve nurturing now, not until you do your homework. Right. Not until you uh, finish this job. You can be happy after you go get new employment. You got to go get a job, then you can be happy. You know, it's funny because this is one of the reason I go to reasons that I go to the ceremonies is because everyone is so nice all the time and nurturing and kind. You know, people aren't like that in daily life. It's you have to do this. You have to do that. You know, this protocol. So are you going protocol. to start to be nurturing to yourself now? Never mind what's happening out in the world now that you're uh unemployed and at home and kind of in seclusion, you can get away from that critical world and right. start nurturing yourself. Right. And so when thoughts of job comes up, oh, you ought to go apply for the job. Now the answer can be, wow, I can get myself up to being feeling really good and then I'll go get a job. Okay, this is what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is talking about. You can do whatever you want to do. Just make sure that the mind is void of the hindrances, which is this void of being critical of yourself. So, um, and talk to students about this often. Let us say that the issue is, is that you've got to write an email. I don't know who it's to or what it's for. It can be family, it can be business, it can be a lawyer, but you got to write this email. At least you've told yourself that you've got to write it, but you don't want to write it. Sure. Okay. So now that you that don't want to write to me many times. <laughs> and so many people, what they'll do is they'll write the email anyway because it needs to be written. Right. And damned how you feel about it, go write that email. All right. That's exactly how we're trained. The email is more important than the way you feel. You've got to get that email done. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Well, if you go with that attitude to write that email, I bet it's not going to be your best email. No. But if you go to that email with hot dog, I've got this wired. I know exactly what we're going to say with this one. Hot dog, I'm ready for this thing. Right. With that that attitude, you'll probably write a better email and you'll actually enjoy writing it. Right. So why then do we uh, in our society teach our children to get the job done and feel bad and do a mediocre job? Why can't we teach our children to get your act together? Get yourself up. Get yourself in a really great mood. And then do what you want to do. It's a great question, you know. Okay. We're, we're, we're not smart enough to do that. <laughs> well, there is sati. Yes, you are smart enough to do that if you would remember to do it. In our own personal lives, yes, but at a society-wide level. You can't fix society. Right. Look how many people have tried and look how many people have failed. Right. You know, it's funny. There are, in fact, great organizations with a whole lot of equipment that make sure that you will fail at that. They have crosses and nails and poisons of hemlock and uh, uh, rings that have uh, 
uh, cyanide, and I mean, there's just all kinds of reasons why people will make sure that you fail at. You know, you know what would be funny trying to fix you, society is if you incognito tried to join one of these organizations and then blew it up from the inside of the Dhamma. You know, that would be a fun, you know, like movie or something if you did that. <laughs> um. The, the 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 point I would say is is that why bother? Because maybe what you can help a lot is, of people. Why do you want to help an awful lot of people when they when those awful lot of people don't want help? Yeah, they don't want the help. I guess so. Why? Uh, why right. So you're help? actually giving them a gift that they really don't want. Right. Why don't we give gifts to people who want these gifts instead? Good, it's a good point. I, I wish they would have said that to all the Christian missionaries over the, the generations, you know. But uh, yeah, so isn't that interesting then? That uh, um, uh, if that's the case, then blowing up the uh, uh, let us say the business uh, that you're talking about from the inside is exactly what the Christian missionaries are trying to do in the tribal village. Yes. In a sense, I don't think that they were as successful as they wanted to be. Well, the most successful ones were the ones that also brought guns, and that's not a possibility for, for a Dama dude, you know? Hey, uh, all right, so... <laughs> This is something that's very difficult for most uh, Westerners who have been uh, trained about society. I guess you could say the same thing would be true about uh, in China, those who have been raised in Confucianism. But the whole point is, is that if you hmm, let us say that there are seven billion human brains that are malfunctioning. Right. Where does one start? With the one that's closest by. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So if we work at it from that perspective, then if you can get one human brain straightened out, then that's a success. Right. Sorry, my dog was just making a whole racket over there. You really do have this grandiosity that all the Dhamma is so great, wouldn't it be nice if everybody had it? The answer is no, it wouldn't. No, we have to understand that. Here's another example of that, by the way. What would it be like if every university had only one PhD program, and that was in nuclear physics. What would it be like if every school planned on every student when they graduated for a bachelor's degree was then going to get their PhD in nuclear physics? What kind of class uh, settings would there be? No arts. Yep, it'd, it'd be monotonous and uh... You know, there there might be too much nuclear stuff all over the place, you know. Okay. Uh, now, yeah. let's do it another way. What if 
uh, every university in the United States or every university in the world had only one PhD program, and that was in, um, let us say, evangelical uh, uh, Bible study. Oh, that'd be awful. Okay. <laughs> How about it if everybody became a medical doctor? Everybody. The only classes that two students could take starting in first grade was anatomy all the way up. And that's the only thing that they studied. That would be an improvement on the other two scenarios. But guess what? There would be, be no medical equipment because the medical equipment requires right. the te technicians. There would right. have been no MRIs. There would have been no stethoscopes even. There would well, just been. You know what I would like, though, is if everyone got a Ph.D. in poetry. You know, that, I think that would be a nice world to live in. What do you think? I would go so far as to say that that was something that uh, was quite common in the time of the Buddha, that uh, 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 the Pali language lends itself to poetry quite well. And a lot of the Dhamma is, is uh, stated poetically. Hmm. Okay, so, um, however, uh, what would New York City look like if everybody in New York was a poet and there was no trash collections, there were no city water, there was no electric, uh, there was no uh, Edison. Everybody at Edison was busy. They don't care about the generators. They're sitting there at their desk writing poetry. And when the lights go out, they get a candle, except that there's no candle because the people who used to make candles are now doing poetry. Well, you know, it'd be a it'd be a real kick in the pants. That's what it would be. <laughs> okay. So now that you're getting the point that in fact there is a use and a value for complexity. Yep. The better question to ask is about wholesome versus unwholesome as opposed to everybody doing the same thing. Sure. That if everybody went around doing what they wanted to do happily what kind of place would this be what kind of politics would we have for instance much more wholesome people wouldn't be running for office would they why because they're happily doing what they want to do and nobody would run for office because nobody would want to do that to stand in front of a bunch of people and get criticized hauled off to jail sure so to kind of and who's going to do the hauling to jail if everybody's just interested in doing wholesome things? Good, good question. So, okay. So let's not worry about what we can do with society. It's not our business to fix society. Your business is to fix your own mind. Sure. So a quick, you know, comment. So. You know, I think one area of resistance in my practice, and this gets gets back to my earlier point about um, about feeling like my identity is changing, um, is you know, it always just, was. You just didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like changing, perhaps at a little faster pace. Perhaps we'll put it that way, right? Um, it, it Time is, flies when you're having fun. 
Yeah, I guess. And we always but, kind of speed up when we're going downhill. <laughs> sure, sure. So I, I feel like part of the concern, for me at least, is, uh, I don't know if even concern is the right word, but part of the resistance is um, is I'm also noticing, you know, that uh, like the ways in which, and this gets back to our discussion of society, um, like society wants me to be uh, a drone, you know, a worker drone doing the worker drone thing, you know, um, and, and I've, I worked in management consulting. So like continuing with that or, you know, in finance or whatever, you know, and society wants me to feel like I always have something to prove and I'm never safe. And I continually need to run on this treadmill to prove myself to society, you know, and the the rich, you know, powers that be such that I can survive on my existence, you know, survive and continue to exist and, you know, have a wife and kids and all of this, you know. And um, and you're also told you're of no value as a mate, you know, unless you're making X amount of money and you're this, this, and that, you know, and I'm finding myself caring about that much less <laughs> these days, you know, and, um, and even questioning the value of having a girlfriend, you know, and I broke up with my girlfriend of three years in December, and, um, and I had another, uh, kind of a, it's a complicated sort of a relationship that had some romance to it, I'll put it that way, that basically wound down in January. And I have felt, you know, I've been on several dates, this and that, and I felt no real desire to truly pursue a relationship with any, with any, with any woman. You know, just, you know, just, it's like I don't want a job. I don't want a relationship. <laughs> it's like society has no answer for someone that doesn't want either of those two things. You know, it, it's a very weird position to be in, and I've never felt this way before. And so, yeah. But well, except it, for one thing, and that is is that you could not expect society to have answers that were appropriate. Right. Just looking at the way society operates, and, and society doesn't want anyone who, uh, how to say, you know the song Hotel California? Yeah, it's a good song. Well, they say that you can check out, but you can't leave. That's society. Hotel right. California is the society that we live in, and they can't and they've got it set up so that you can't leave. You need them. You can check out for a little while, but you're not out of here. Right. And it's funny because I can explain this to my friends and they just think I'm like out to lunch or something. <laughs> you know, they well, <laughs> that's because they can't see what you figured out for yourself. This is another right. reason why you can't fix society is because people are not going to see things no, if they don't not. want to look at them. Right. Right. This is I. It's a it's a really difficult lesson to understand that that we have to learn, and that is is that um, we cannot fix society. 
you cannot get other people. They talk about it in the sense that you uh, you can lead a, a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, it depends upon whether the horse is thirsty. If the horse is thirsty, he'll drink. This is the same thing is true. We can lead people to the Dhamma, but that's going to be pretty hard if they don't want to be led to the Dhamma. But they certainly can't drink the Dhamma if they don't want to. Right. And a lot of people already are so full of what they've been drinking already that they're either intoxicated or uh, sluggish or whatever like that. And so they're not ready for it. So um, I would like it if we could find a way so that you get it, that your Dhamma practice has nothing to do with uh, the world and how it relates to you. That your Dhamma practice has everything, though, to do with your own world inside your mind and how you relate to it. And when you relate to the world inside your mind well, then you will be able to relate to the outside world well. But we miss that. And this is missed in many places, even inside of Buddhism. Western Buddhism has taken a very, very sharp U-turn out of the Dhamma into Western culture, and all they have left is just the trappings without any of the real substance in in there. In And here is the, uh, the place where they make the biggest mistake, and in fact, this is the place where you can see that they've all gone wrong, and that's with that one word, meta. Hmm. Everybody talks about meta this, meta that, as if it were a part of the Buddhist teachings. But it, there is, it's clear that metta was not a practice of the teachings of the Buddha, that it was a practice that was taught someplace else, and that um, people who were interested in coming to the Buddha brought their practice of uh, metta with them. And so that's how it got associated. It's almost like the same thing as jhana, except that jhana has some value to where metta has everything backwards. They think of metta as a practice, in fact. They call it metta meditation. And by doing that, they're saying that, um, that metta will be the cause and something else then will be the result. If we practice metta, then the result will be something, perhaps friendship, loving kindness, which is what they call metta, and they're practicing metta. Really what's going on is that, they, that metta should be seen as the result of one's correct practice, mm. not the cause of something else. In other words, when you have 100% loving kindness and nurturing within your own mind, then that's how you're going to deal with other people. But if you have any criticism of yourself left, then you're going to use that criticism on other people. That's actually a really amazing point. So, you know, one place where I've seen metta practiced is often in this kind of uh, social justice dharma kind of movement. And the one thing I find Trying to fix the world. 
about exactly. That. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And one thing I found interesting about that is people that are involved in these social justice causes uh, tend to be like pretty angry people. Um, <laughs> so they want something. Yeah. They want to fix it. Right. They want to fix it. And and they want the world to conform to their vision of the world. And so they end up being really unpleasant people to be around, you know, and I think their ideals are noble, you know, not in the Buddhist sense of nobility. I mean, just like their, their positive ideals, you know, want the world to be a fair place. But these people can be just so awful to be around because they're just so self-righteous about everything all the time. And you want to be around not, someone like that? Not necessarily. You know? <laughs> not That's necessarily. my experience. Of, of well, people. it yeah. is what, what you're saying is true. And it's easy to see. But it's also possible and that I can show you other examples. Hopefully I don't have to name names, but we could and then you'd know what we're talking about. But let us say that it is possible for someone because they wrote a lot of books and they built a great big Dhamma Center and that their names are on uh, this um, tricycle and this Lion's Roar magazine on a regular I basis. I know who you're referring to. But yeah. And just because uh, they're out teaching the Dhamma and making good money on the Dhamma doesn't mean that the people who they're teaching Dhamma to is are getting the right things right. because this guy uh, or these people who are doing this kind of stuff are also saying that you've got to vote. They want you involved with politics. They want you to do things that go against the Dhamma, even though they are held up as the biggest Dhamma dude in the country, the most well-known, the, the big guys are actually giving people advice that's against the Dhamma and against their own better nature. Getting, trying to get people to become politically active, okay? So this is exactly what you're talking about is, is that those guys who go off on a cause trying to get people politically active are always angry. The answer is yes, but they don't always display that anger because if these people did display anger about what they're doing, their entire Dhamma flock would leave them. Right, right. Because they well, can see the unwholesomeness finally, rather than see the unwholesomeness is, oh, you got to go vote or you got to get this done and that done. And oh, and by the way, on the way to the polls, please pay me $5,000 for the next retreat. Yes. Well, it's funny because I, I think I know exactly who you're talking about. And I know of another teacher in that group who. Um, well, actually, I, I was like making this composite. Because <laughs> oh, there's more than that? one of them out there. I was making a composite because there's more Got than it. one of them out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a few. And, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, and I know you like to discuss politics, too, but you don't not you don't talk about it in an activist way. You're just kind of describing things. You're not really being active. I talk about, about it, it about is... how much dukkha everybody is in. Right, right. It's a very different perspective than how some of these people talk about it, which is in a very activist kind of a way. And, 
when they go off i never give advice about we ought to do this and we ought to do that what i will give advice is we ought to stop doing this and we ought to stop doing that sure that's the way that we practice the dhamma is by finding something that's unwholesome and taking it out of our lives but we can still from a distance point to the dukkha with a smile as in, sure. as opposed to pointing to the dukkha over there with with a frown and thought of i've got work to do i've got to go fix that too well what's funny is these teachers i'm thinking of whenever they bring up these topics i hear like a strain in their voice you know it, it's like their whole they're, they're not displaying anger per se but it's like they're they're perfectly crafted you know personality there's a plead they're, they're pleading they're coming yes. from the victim state it's always a victim when people say you we need you to vote that means something's wrong in my life and if you go vote i'll feel better sure sure and you know and, and it's funny because when i first brought up this topic of the social justice people i was thinking of you know one you know one group that i sat with that um, was very much all about that. And I went to just a few of their sessions and decided it wasn't for me. And the people were just miserable in that group. That's why I, I didn't go to more than two sessions. A friend of mine invited me, and I was very fond of my friend, and that's why I went. Um, but beyond two sessions, I was like, this does not seem like the Dhamma to me. You know, it, it just didn't feel right. You know, and I couldn't put my finger on it why yet. You know, but it just didn't feel right. You know, it felt like a, you know, pity party. Well, <laughs> <I felt. laughs> like a big pity party. You know, if if and, there is Christian in that sense, you know. You speaking know. of that, there is the event that is very wrongly affecting and and quite buried, but certainly there, the story about the money changers in the temple as an aspect of social justice. If you see something that is so heinous and so wrong, like the bankers moving into the temple, then we've got to go do something about it. You see what I'm talking about? Yep. Okay, this is the entire basis, that Christian ideal that Jesus, son of God, perfect human being drove the trash out of the temple that's almost marching orders so every little christian is thinking about where's that temple and where are those money changers i've got job to do where within buddhism we don't have any of that idea there is no such thing as social justice that even the kings would get uh, the the right story from the Buddha in the sense of this is how you handle this particular moment. Rather than, oh, we've got to gird our loins and get our battle here going and go off to uh, 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 to trounce the money changers or, or whatever like that that we do have this whole quality of social justice. In fact, you could say that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States is right there in that mentality. 
King George was the money changers for Benjamin Franklin. Sure. Okay. And so this is basically deep baked deep into the uh, to the Western mentality that there are jobs to be done. And you're on the list. That's not the teachings of the Buddha at all. And so anyone who is trying to straddle the fence of social activism and the Dhamma are going to be in conflict within their own mind. Right. And so we can actually just kind of get away from that and recognize that no, the real work that needs to be done is always on the interior. And that we cannot fix the exterior. In fact, another way of looking at it is it does not belong to you. The world is not yours to manipulate. Let's go do the job that we can do. This goes exactly back with uh, AA has what they call a prayer, the AA prayer. And I guess the only prayer about it is God is the first word. And if you take that word off, then it's no longer a prayer. Now it's a call. Okay. But God grant me um, the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. And grant me the courage to change the things that I can change and the wisdom to know the difference. And therein lies the issue is, is that our society has been screaming out loud that uh, the wisdom is you got to go fix him and then you'll feel good. Right. If you go fix him, you'll be okay. Or if you go fix that, you'll be okay. And this is the ignorance. The real wisdom is, is that let me change the things that I can change. And the only things that I can change are the things that I changed in the first place. And so we begin to look at it from the fact that we can change the inside. And we don't really need courage to do that. What we really need is to remember to change it on the inside. And the first thing then that we need to change is when thoughts come up, oh, I got to go do that work out there. Oh, I got to go fix them is to see that thought and recognize that's what needs to be changed is the thought that there is work to do on the outside. And that when you change it, you can change it from that's not my job and I'm okay and I really don't have any work to do at all. Let me sit here and enjoy the moment. But when we uh, we don't read that kind of stuff in um, Lion's War, we read calls to action instead. Right. So this is the point that uh, the Dhamma is being dicked with. <laughs> and it has been dicked with for for centuries, but it's um, the real stuff never seemed to have gotten to the West, that it, all we ever got was a dicked up version of it. And we need to get back to the original teachings of the Buddha, which means that we have to get out of our system the idea that we've got money changers to drive out. That the money changers, if they are to be driven out, they're the ones that are in the real temple anyway. So the temple uh, of our mind. So we need to drive those money changers out of the uh, of the mind, which is basically uh the critical thinking 
But sure. let's have nurturing thoughts. The nurturing thoughts will then be the very change that we needed the uh, the courage for. We don't really need a whole lot of courage to change our mind from being an unhappy mind to a happy mind. Sure. So, quick question. So, let's just play through one of these scenarios. So, let's say I, I just come back from my morning cigar. I sit down in my chair. I This very same chair I'm talking to you, and I also meditate in this chair. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I pull out my phone. I start scrolling, you know, social media, the news, whatever. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I really need to start applying for jobs. Or, oh, I really need to meditate. You know, now I can, with Sati, grab that thought and say, aha, Mara, I see you. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there it is. And I don't need anything. And, and I don't need I don't need anything. anything. I'm just okay right here. And then I would probably look to the scrolling. Next Actually, the thing say, to do would be that cell phone that's in your hand. Just close your eyes. Hmm. Just close your eyes. You don't need the cell phone. You can just close your eyes and take a deep breath and get yourself back into a state of homeostasis. Take about 10 or 20 seconds and then open your eyes and you may have a completely different attitude about that cell phone. You may, the first thing you do is just click it off and shut it down and go back and close your eyes and take another deep breath. Sure. This is the distinction. You see that everybody thinks that they've got to go do something to meditate. That's the whole quality of it, that they've gotten so wrapped up in the idea of um, uh, rites, rituals, procedures, methods, places, uh, and, and things to do, when basically the real practice of Anapanasati is just to take a deep breath right now. When you think of it, mm. throw that stuff out. This is all there is to it. And we do that over and over again every time we remember. And ain't that we, nice? That we do not need a formal sitting practice. It is never necessary. The Buddha never specified one. Mm. What did he specify? He said, go to the forest or to an empty hut or to the foot of a tree, to a pile of straw. Guess what? You're in an empty hut right now. You're already in the empty hut. There you are. You're in seclusion. So you sit down and you bring mindfulness to the fore. And then we mindfully breathe in long and mindfully breathe out long. There's all there is to it. You're already in that secluded place. The funny thing that's really interesting about that, about a meditation retreat, is is that when the Buddha recommends to go into seclusion, he means into seclusion. And what do people do when they go to a meditation retreat? They pay a lot of money and then they collect together and a whole bunch of people in a small place. Then what do they do? They pretend to be in seclusion. And yet all of this sensory input is coming in. The odors, the coughs, the kneecaps, all of that kind of stuff is there. We're not in seclusion at all. We don't get away from it at all. 
about the best thing that we can hope for in that regard is closing our eyes. That's the only seclusion that they get when they go to a meditation retreat. Hmm. But the real issue is to get real seclusion so that you can get not only secluded from all of the world of a meditation retreat and New York, but then we can get, first we get the mind out of New York, and then we get New York out of the mind. Two-step process, two kinds of seclusions. One is the seclusion is get the mind out of New York by getting an seclusion. And then the second one, the deeper seclusion, is to get New York out of the mind. Well, social activists, they've got New York in the mind all the time. They're trying to fix New York. They're not trying to get away from it and get the mind into a state of peace and calm and happiness. So another way of saying of getting New York out of the mind is is getting the criticism out of the mind and getting into a nurturing mind. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. Wholesome thoughts. One wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. This is the right way to practice. And when you have only wholesome thoughts and you have thoughts about a job, then those getting a job kind of thoughts are going to be very wholesome. But right now, your thoughts of of getting a job are not wholesome at all. They're unwholesome in the sense of you've got to go get a job. You should be working. Those are unwholesome. So, so what would a wholesome version of that look like? A wholesome version of getting a job thoughts? Wow, that looks really interesting. Maybe I'll go apply to that job. That looks like something really like. I, I would really like to do that. Hmm. Or let's say it's like updating my resume, which needs to get done, right? So it might be, you know what? It'll be fun to uh, add a few lines to my resume here. Mm-hmm. Would that be wholesome? Yeah, yep. right. Yeah, Rather than, I... oh, I've got to, I, I can't get a job without that resume. I've got to go get it done. Oh, well, go do it now. And we don't, we're not in the mood to do it. We do things that when we're not in the mood to do it, we need to change the mood we're in. Sure. So you change the mood first, then you can do the thing. And then you can do the thing. Okay. Uh, good, good to know. Anyhow, and I, when you, but here's the point though that after you've changed your mood, then you may not want to do the thing, right? Because you're too happy without doing it already, or you can I, do it I because you know that. that it needs to be done. An example of that is is that um, uh, <clears throat> visas, it has to be done. But I have a choice about am I going to do the visa happily, easily, joyfully, or I'm going to make some mistakes. Am I going to not want to do it? Am I going to be afraid that I doesn't have all the paperwork and all of this kind of stuff? Okay, so those are the two ways of getting a visa. The third way is to really screw it up and don't go. And some people try that, but that's definitely going to be a lot of dukkha. And so it has to be done. The question is, how are we going to feel about doing it? 
As good as you can. I mean, you probably feel great because you're a pro at feeling good. <laughs> well, it's a skill it. to be developed. It's a skill to be developed. They're nothing so you, special. So what do you tell yourself? Like, man, I can't wait to get this visa done. This is going to be great. Like, well, you say, right like, now, the I'm point is, go to is the government office. It's going to be the best time I've ever had my whole life. This is going to be wonderful. Well, like, I'd love to hear. What do you tell yourself? You know, well, those are the kinds of things that you would tell yourself. So you, that's it. Or uh, another way of would be, uh, wow, guess what? I don't have to do visas very often. And right now I don't have to do it. You see, the thing of it is, is that people will think about the visa weeks or months before it has to be done. Right. And then they're just wasting their time thinking about work that has to be done and they can't even do it yet. Right. This is basically then getting into the woeful state of the Asura. Where we're all dressed up and no place to go. Thinking about doing the visa and now is not the time to go to do the visa. Right. We're thinking about it anyway. Or uh, thinking about going to the bank in the, in the night. When the bank is closed, you can't go to the bank. Why think about going to the bank? You can't go to the bank now. Right. We think about going to the bank anyway. Or we're laying in bed. We don't have a, any intention of turning the computer on to write that email. But we're still thinking about that email. Right. Thinking about work that needs to be done instead of enjoying the fact that we don't have to do it right now. Right. And so when we get ourselves into the state to where we can really enjoy the moment, then we can take that enjoyment of the moment and put that into the email or put the and do the email again when we're all ready. But the other way of doing it that most people are into is they don't want to do the email. They think about doing the email anyway, and then they don't do the email. Mm. So the style that we're talking about here is don't spend your time thinking about the email that you're not doing. Spend your time thinking about you. You don't have to do that email right now. Everything is marvelous. Everything is great. And when you get yourself into a really, really good state, then maybe the thought will come by. Well, I can do that email now. I'm on top of it. Right. So this is a way that we can begin to practice the Dhamma and still live in the world it is because we don't live in the world all the time, that we keep coming back to seclusion and getting away from the world over and over and over and over again until the world becomes less and less and less important. Nothing is really important at all other than your own well-being. And so let's let that be the object of our meditation is our own well-being. Mm -hmm. That's why we go from one wholesome thought to the next to the next. And you cannot fix the world. Right. In fact, there's been quite a number of people who have tried to fix the world and look what they did to it instead. I mean, Stalin worked really hard to fix the world. Hitler. Yep. Hitler. He worked really hard to fix the world. Mohammed, Big Mo, he worked really hard to fix the world, or at least he was part of it. And look what happened. Islam. <laughs> right. 
You know, you know, it's funny though. Gandhi, you know, he tried to fix fix the world in a sense. And it, it well, a lot of people well. point out that a lot of stuff went wrong with Gandhi's trying to fix the world. A lot of people died. Uh, I'd say Gandhi prevented a lot more deaths than there might have but been. But we don't know. Him. We no, just we don't, don't know, know sure. do we? We don't know. We just but, don't know. That's the but big we, argument, you know, that, that he saved a lot know, of lives. He, yeah. he, he didn't apply something that was new. He applied something that was old, which, which was nonviolent in your yeah. face. Okay. Yeah. The only difference between Gandhi and the Buddha was that Buddha was nonviolent and took a hike, and Gandhi was nonviolent in the face of the government. Yep, yep. He also yeah. took a hike. He took a hike to the salt thing. You know. He finally figured that out. Well, yeah, it depends upon how you mean by taking a hike. Yeah, the salt run. Yeah. Know about yeah. that. Yeah. No, Gandhi was amazing. He's a big inspiration for me. Um, you know, he, he really, uh, um, just through his own moral practice and his own power of personality, he was able to really change the world in a very positive way, you know, um, without ever lifting a finger to harm anyone. Really? What would India be like today if it were still part of the British Empire? What would the British Empire be today if India were part of it? Um, How do you know that what Gandhi did was beneficial? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we'll never know for sure, but... You won't, you know, that's you, the whole point. So why speculate about it? Well, you can make the argument that um, in the Indian people having greater self-determination is uh, just grants them a dignity that they did not have when they were part of the British Empire. Pardon? So, if you're a colony, you know, you don't have the ability to self-determine I'm your not state. a colony. Yeah, you're not, but I'm saying, like, if you're part well, of a you colony. You just said that. No, no, that's still a mentality. That's still a mentality, Which is looking for easier. advantages and disadvantages. And in fact, the first statement that you made was an argument could be made. And my immediate response to that is, but we don't have to argue about anything. We don't have to piddle with Gandhi. That was 70 years ago. Sure. Okay. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to fix the world. The world is not broken. Right. The world's perfect. No, I didn't say that. I just said it's not broken. There's not, okay, there, there is no uh, world calling you on the phone saying, please help me. Right. Still fun to talk about, though. It's not. The only thing when you say it's fun to talk about means it's fun to make plans for work that needs to be done. Hmm. When in fact there is nothing that needs to be done. All the work that needs to be done is to make the mind wholesome. 
Once your mind is wholesome, then the way you see the world will be seeing the world in a wholesome way. Right now, you see the world is broken when, in fact, it's your own mind that's broken. I don't see the world as broken. Well, you're wanting to fix it. Kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. You want a job. That's, you're wanting for someone to go walking into some organization surreptitiously and... <laughs> And spread the Dhamma. That, that that was a joke I made. That was like mm-hmm. I said that'd be a good movie. You know, it would be a, that'd be a funny movie. I would enjoy watching that. But the world would be better off without those kind of movies. Um, would it? You yeah. Know, maybe if it could teach some Dhamma, you know, maybe that would make make it make for a make for a good world. You know, but better the people world. don't, don't know. want the Dhamma. They don't need the Dhamma. Those who want and need the Dhamma should find out that they don't need it anyway. <laughs> that we need to stop needing things. Sure. To become satisfied with the way things are. This is a hard lesson to teach. Over and over and over again, we got to teach the lesson, get your own mind wholesome, and everything else will take care of itself. That's right, built right into that haiku. No place to go, nothing to do. And the spring comes and the grass grows all by itself. Right. And Biden does not need your help, and neither does Donald Trump, and neither does uh, Boris Spassky or anybody. But they don't need us. Well, it's it's funny. You know, and I'm, what I'm about to say is in agreeance with you. Um, but, you know, a big part of my personality, and this is another thing that I was discuss- similar to what I was discussing You're earlier. not your personality, you know. I know, but like a big part of it has been constant self-improvement all the time. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, when are you and, going to be improved enough to where you can be confident that you're improved, that you're never, okay already? Never, com- never complete until I've got, you know, a, maybe maybe a bunch of money, you know, trophy wife, you know, all of that. That that would be the story. No, wait a minute, myself, wait a minute, you know? wait a minute, wait a minute. What was the original goal in the first place? Was contentedness, you know, and just a sense of accomplishment. Okay. And this and that sort of. Is thing, money you know? necessary? The people who have a lot of no, money, they still that, feel that it's not that. enough. They want more, 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 none more, of that more. Is necessary. None of it is. I know it's not. You know, I'm just discussing like my prior beliefs. You know. Okay. And, you know, and um, and yet, what's funny is, is if for a long enough time you tell yourself something, it becomes like a mantra. Like, it's like a, a child, you know, with his little toy, his little rattle that he likes to play with to calm him down, you know, of, oh, you know, go do, do this, go to the gym, so maybe you can get that trophy wife, you know, or or go uh, apply for a job so you can get a nice house, so, you know, it's like a little rattle, you know, and I know it's, I don't, I know I don't need the rattle, you know, I know there's, it's incorrect view. Like I know, I feel like I am aware of this. Quite well, well, we can use that. We can use that. Okay, let's use that rattle. 
Yeah. Now what you need to do is to recognize every time that that rattle goes off to catch it rattling, that you don't just let it rattle, 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 rattle while you got it kind of there, but you're not paying any attention to it, that as soon as that rattling starts, you stop. You put a stop to it. Right. You put a stop to it. Okay, the rattle is back and forth and back and forth, which is good, bad, up, down, the critical mind. Right. That rattle is nothing but the rattling of the critical mind. We need to catch that stuff and put a stop to it and tell yourself uh, wholesome things like everything is going to be all right, everything is fine, we don't need the rattle, everything is good. No place to go, nothing to do. The spring come and the grass will grow all by itself. The world will take care of itself. Does not need my help. Indeed. All right, Damarato, I think we've exhausted this one for today. But, no, uh, we haven't, but we've gotten tired. We haven't. We're exhausted. The topic is not. (laughs) That is not. (laughs) We'll continue on next time. So hopefully in a few days. So So you make sure now that any thoughts about fixing the world come up, you catch those things. Right. But you give yourself jobs to do. Catch that. If you have the thought you should be meditating, the answer to that is. Yep. So even the one that just came up of I need to go to bed, I need to brush my teeth. No, it's okay. You know, I'm I'm enjoying just right now, just having my conversation with my mm-hmm. friend and teacher Damarato here, and this is very nice and ah, I get a nice That's you know? right. Yeah. Okay. All right, Robert. We'll see you soon. Yep, see you soon. Cup can cup. Cup can cup. Okay.